Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Liz. Thanks be to God. Sometimes again, historically, and maybe this is something we could, we could do if you even have heard Pastor Keith, who we sent to Sacramento to plant a church, would sometimes say that. Uh, the, when it was said this... Um, you know, this is the word of the Lord, and God's people would respond and say, thanks be to God. All right, we're getting it there, so that's good. Well, uh, thank you, Marcus, for setting me up. That's helpful, and I know you got to preach, and that's great, Um, right? Preachers got to preach, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, I want to introduce myself, and I'll try to preach a sermon and explain preaching in some ways uh, all at the same time. So as I said, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and I I do want to let you know if you didn't hear earlier or you've never heard me preach before, I have a stutter and I just always want to make sure, kind of put that out there and let you know that. Now let me even explain that briefly. We um, want to, as Pastor Marcus said, help bridge that gap. We say something here that we take God seriously, but not ourselves. And that's something we want to say and believe and embody. Um, Theologians and pastors and authors for years and years and years have talked about how to do this well, how to present a holy, perfect, amazing God in, 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 in everyday life. Jesus himself embodies that perfectly. Fully God and fully hu- hu- human. And that's our hope. Our desire is even to be Christ-like, to embody Christ. So when we tell jokes or different things like that, and obviously we want to just be ourselves, be who we are, but even um, Pastor Charles Spurgeon talked about this. He talked about the importance of, 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 of helping to remind the people that you are one of them. And yet at the same time, we're standing, we're, we're, we're above we're with, because of God's word and we're presenting God's word with authority and with conviction, but also as one of us. And so there's purpose in that. And as Pastor Marcus will often do, he will um, refer to James chapter three, verse one, and I'll share from first Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 is and and in both cases it's a reminder that we take very seriously what we're doing that this is not us just as Pastor Marcus just explained expounding our wisdom or telling jokes or giving a good speech 
but, but we are presenting uh, God's word. So that's even the purpose and how and why we go about what we do. Now, we're going to invite you to raise your hand if you want a Bible. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. If you're not convinced after what Pastor Marcus said, then you maybe won't ever be. But no, turn with me to the Bible so you know it's God speaking. But if you don't have one or if you would like one or you forgot one, please hold your hand up. Um, we'd love to get you one. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. All right, we want to make sure everyone has a copy of God's Word to follow along with and to understand, again, that this is God speaking. So with that, we need His help. Amen? All right, amen means I agree or I'm tracking with you or I, I'm, I'm with you. And so uh, when we even call for an amen, it's a check-in. Hey, are you, are you tracking along? Are you, are you in agreement here with what we're saying? If you don't agree, you can just shake your head quietly but, uh, and we'll just look at someone else. So let's, uh, let's pray now again and ask God's help as we open his word together. Again, Lord, thank you for this moment. Um, thank you for this year, all that has happened. I'm sure some of us don't want to thank you for many parts of it. Um, perhaps we feel shame, we feel uh, anger, um, perhaps hope and joy or, or even dread, I don't know, going into ne next year. But in this moment, we pray as we do each week, that we will hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. Lord, will you reveal to us what is true? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Author and pastor um, Timothy and Kathy Keller said this, our culture tells us to submit everything to our understanding, to question everything, including the Bible. But everyone must choose something to not question. Modern people don't question their right and ability to question everything. So everyone is living by faith in some authority. If you didn't connect the dots there, most of us are submitting to faith in ourselves, our own authority, our own ability to decide what is right, what is not, all this. But Proverbs calls us to make it God's word, not our reason and intuition. So again, we are all prone to asserting ourselves as the authority over God, over his word. And so what we do when we preach and what we're doing specifically this morning is we are hearing what God says is true. And the primary way that God presents himself and presents his truth is the Bible. As Pastor Marcus said, he explained it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, what the Bible is, is the true story of the world. The Bible is telling us the way things were, why things are the way they are, and what is happening and what will ultimately happen. The true story of the world from beginning and then it walks through this story. I'll throw it up here. Some of you have seen this before, but the true story of the world, the Bible is this, the creation and then the fall or the rebellion. And then next is a promise. And then from there is redemption. We took our name from that, not the other way around. <laughs> then the church 
And then the final, the sixth act of the play or the sixth chapter of the story is restoration. And so now we're going to do something we did when we very first started our church, when we very first planted, we walked through Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, which walks us through the story of God, that true story of the world, all centered on the person and work of Jesus. He's been referred to as the author of the story and the hero of the story. He's the climax. He's the main point from beginning to end, the alpha and the omega. Those are, again, Greek, the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end, A to Z, it's all about Jesus, and we see him from every, uh, every thread throughout the whole story, we see Jesus. And so that hopefully will shape how we preach, actually, wherever we are in any sermon, whatever, when we're in the Old Testament here in a few weeks, we're going to be in um, Esther, right? So we'll be in that spot right there in the promise in Act 3 or Chapter 3 between the fall and redemption. So um, between Genesis chapter 3, when, you know, the snake and Adam and Eve and all that, um, between that and the time when Jesus comes, the New Testament, or like the majority of the Bible, okay, a huge chunk of the Bible. One, uh, what's, what's um, the Jesus storybook Bible says every story, can anyone finish that sentence? Every story whispers his name. If you're, you have kids or you don't, everyone in this room, I think, should own that. The, the Jesus Storybook Bible is incredible, and uh, it helps us walk through and even see what we're doing today. So even in Esther, we'll see somehow, as Mark said, we need to connect what's happening there and God's promises, but how does that point to, how is it pregnant with Jesus, the need for a savior, a redeemer, a hero, Okay, so pick up with me now as we walk through this story in Colossians chapter 1, verse, uh, verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I would underline that verse, circle it. I, that is so important. All things. How many things? Were created through and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We talk about this here as our, on an individual level, who you are, your identity, what you do, everything you do, from hobbies, your, your work, your, your intellect, your studies, what you do, everything is for and by Jesus, is designed to be a reflection, an image, right, is the word used there, to reflect God in all his goodness, in who he is. We talk about this, the image of God, all right, and then, then the, the, the cultural mandate, the creation, uh, creational mandate, quorum deo, everything you do, let it be before God's face, let it be for God's glory. All that you do, that's what you and I were created to do. And Jesus, 
Again, is the one through whom and for whom all things were. The creator who created everything. But then as we see, he also is, as we'll again talk about in a moment, he became one of us. But first here, we need to understand that Jesus is God. That all things that exist, exist because Jesus, fully God, declared that they should be creation, the first chapter. But then things go tragically wrong. As you see there in verse 21, it says, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. This is every one of us individually. Okay, just pause for a moment and think about yourself. Maybe even pause for a moment and look to your left or your right. Your neighbor, your spouse, your friend, your room, roommate, your enemy. We all were created to reflect God, to live perfectly with him, but we have all gone astray. We have all rebelled. The language there, we are all alienated. On an individual level, we are rebels, as one person once said, that word fall, which again is kind of a churchy word, creation, fall. Like fall sounds too passive. Okay, and a more appropriate word is rebellion, a coup. We waged war on God individually and corporately. We said, not your way, my way. And then we fight with each other. No, not your way, my way. No, not your way, my way. And so we're all trying to usurp God. We're all trying to become God. So there's individual sin. There's a, another aspect of sin that we need to understand here. Okay, there's, it's been said that sin has affected and infected everything. So everything, right, that is created is created with a good purpose, but it's also been stained. It's been affected, right? The rain is a good gift from God. But now we know in certain parts of the world, even now, too much rain causes havoc. Like destroys property, ruins lives, takes lives. Even let your imagination go like things that are supposed to be good but have been distorted. And then just ways in our society, ways we interact with each other. Things like, you know, landlords and tenants and employers and employees and parents and children and all these things. Everything that was meant to be good and perfect. But like even as I said some of those, I'm guessing all of us had something that said, oh, yeah, that's... There's some aspect of that that's not the way it should be. But most of us don't acknowledge that. We've just gotten too used to it. I, I, what comes to mind for me is a bad smell, right? Have you ever been somewhere before? I've shared this illustration before. I lived in Arkansas for a number of years, and we would go and when we had to play sports for you know, high school and stuff, we'd go to different, different parts of the state because you know, it wasn't like here you just go to different parts of your same town. We'd drive all over the state, and you'd go to a town that maybe emphasized like you know, chicken farming, like Tyson Chicken comes from there, or you know, some other part of the state that's you know, p pigs or this or that, and you'd drive in like for a baseball game or a track meet or something, and just the stench would be terrible. 
And you'd like roll up the bus windows and think that how can, and then you'd look and people would just be going about everyday life. Like they, it's because, and perhaps some of you grew up in a town like that, or maybe you grew up in, in parts of Texas where there's oil, right? Not oil, because you're in Texas, it's oil, right? And, you, and, and, and there's this like crude smell, it smells terrible, but others like, no, I smell m- money. You know, but you go in there and you smell, but people who live there, you just get used to it. That's sin. That's sin in our own hearts. That's sin in our relationships. That's sin in the world that we live in. So much is not the way it's supposed to be. Sometimes the word that's used is broken. It needs mending. It needs healing. There's a sickness. And then, as I said, a huge chunk of the Bible is this promise. We just got out of the Advent season, right? That word Advent means anticipation of an arrival. In Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel, the proto-Ewan the first good news, God declared to the world, right after the curse, or in the midst of the curse, Like, you chose to rebel against me. The world's going to fall apart. It's broken. Your relationships are broken. Your relationship with yourself, with others, with the world, with your work. Everything is not the way it should be. But I won't leave you there. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God says that, 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 that a child would be born who would ultimately, though his heel would be bruised, he would crush the head of the serpent. He would deal with sin once and for all. Amen. That's the promise. That's every story in the Old Testament that's whispering his name. That's God calling Israel, his people, to faithfully reflect him as his image bearers. But time and time again, failure. Being left in and of ourselves, we fall short. We need help. We don't like to say that. But again, part of the story, part of the gospel is our desperate need for God to intervene and do what only he can do. Redemption. The fourth act, the fourth chapter of the story, picking up again in verse 21, the bad news before the good news. You, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Ephesians uses the language of dead in sin dead in our trespasses, enemies of God. And then verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Look at the cross. Imagine the cross. Not just pain, certainly not just jewelry or a tattoo or, you know, something we've just, again, grown so used to. But Jesus, fully God and fully man, God the Son, enduring all the shame, all the suffering, all the consequences of sin in his flesh. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. As Jesus rose victoriously from the dead, glorious, some of his own followers, once they knew it was him, they saw him and they said, oh, Jesus, we now recognize you. But they didn't recognize him at first because he had been glorified. 
That's a picture, that's a foreshadowing of what God is doing for you. For all who put their faith in Jesus, this language of present, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, that's the future that you and I, if you've put your trust in Jesus, hopefully if you're here and you haven't, you are invited, called, to put your trust in Jesus. That God has a purpose and a plan and it is to present you. Whatever came to mind during the confession of sin, whatever came to mind when I talked about sin, this bad smell, this rebellion against God, through Jesus, he deals with it. And then his plan and purpose is to, is to grow you in his image and then to present you. Think like, right, we just had Christmas, to give a present. I don't wrap presents well at all. But those who do, I appreciate it. It's beautiful. It's thoughtful. It's been crafted. I just got to officiate a wo- wo- wedding last night. The bride was presented, right, in a white dress and this idea of like, Let me present to you something that is beautiful, something that is precious to me. That's the purpose and plan that Jesus has in store for all who put their faith in him is to be presented to the God that we rebelled against, that we deserve judgment, that we are in in, in, uh, uh, enmity with. We're now reconciled and going to be presented before him. And then this this fifth chapter is the chapter that we're in right now. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, after he rose from the dead, more than 500 people saw him. It's a historical fact. Like history is forever changed because Jesus rose from the dead. That is the truth. That's not a fairy tale. That's not, as Marcus said, some kind of speech or something that we just, that's our philosophy or, you know, we all have our own way. There are multiple ways to God. I don't mean to be pejorative about it, but we, we believe that this is truth. This is the true story. We don't say arrogantly because we're the ones who came up with it, but because God reveals that he is the one who knows truth. He is the author And so he presents to us with authority, where that word author comes from, what is true. And then Jesus sent the Holy Spirit because he said, you are plan A. Like, look around, church, we're plan A, right? A stuttering pastor, a a refugee, right? I mean, all of us, like, we all try to hide our, our, our shortcomings. But again, Pastor Marcus and I hopefully embrace them. We say God's strength is known through our weakness. And that's our message to all of us is not, oh, try to be better, try to be smarter, try to pretend. But no, to say because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, his spirit, the helper, to fill us individually and to empower us collectively to carry out his work. Again, in that same book, in Second. Corinthians, it says that, uh, that God is making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. Every one of us in this room who follow Jesus have an eternally significant job to live all of life all for Jesus. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit whom He has sent. That's where we are right now, the church, and we're marching toward the sixth act, the final chapter, which will go on for all eternity in Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. How many things? All things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. In the final story, the final chapter of the true story of the world, Jesus will return. Again, a historical fact that we can anticipate. He promised it. He banked on it. It's now, but it's also not yet. It's still to come. It will, right now, will be a reflection. If you're going to have a New Year's party, which I hope you do, I know some there will be fireworks and great food and good drinks and incredible maybe giving of presents and singing of songs. Some of our parties might reflect more of the world not the way it's supposed to be. All right, but some parties, I think as Christians, we should be the best partiers out there, right? We shouldn't be like lame, you know, people that no one wants to come to our parties. We should be a foreshadowing of what is to come, that we party, we, we celebrate, we declare that one day we will get to participate in an eternal party that is worship, that's not just a, a, a choir concert, but everything we're doing, again, fireworks, and I look over here and I see a kid, I got to talk to a, a, a kid this morning who's so excited about the fireworks, and then I talk over here to an engineer who, who, who I'm sure will be able to make fireworks that are like missiles, right, in eternity. Like, we can, this is what we march towards. So every week, church, we walk through this story through our entire liturgy, and then specifically through the sermon, we find where are we in this story, and what does it look like for us to faithfully respond? As I close, let me read one more quote The question is not whether the whole of our lives will be shaped by some grand story. The only question is which grand story will shape our lives. What story is shaping your life? Again, consumerism, comfort, like military, right? Nationalism, success, power, control pleasure. Some story is shaping our lives. And every week, throughout the week, we're called to participate in some other false story. For the one who has heard Jesus' call to follow him, the call comes with a summons, an invitation, a command to enter the story of which he was the climactic moment the true story of the world. And again, as I close now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hopefully this service is helpful to connect some of the dots. But the most important thing is Jesus making his appeal through us for you to follow him and trust in him. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, I hope that today, I hope every time you come to this church or any of the many churches that we partner with in Tucson, you will hear and respond in faith to the good news of Jesus. A transfer of trust, putting your hope 
from yourself into his very capable hands. And if you are a follower of Jesus, we're all invited to respond. Have we participated in other stories? What does it look like to confess, to respond, to repent, to turn, to participate in his perfect and good story? So now as I close in prayer, James is going to come up and is going to lead us through our time of response, again, intentionally guiding us through each part of what it means to individually and corporately, collectively respond to the good news of Jesus. He's so good. He calls for, he demands a response. Let's pray. Again, Jesus, thank you that you are the author of this story. I confess on behalf of myself and on behalf of everyone in here, ways that we've maybe even out of necessity, maybe we've suffered and so we've, we've had to believe a lie that we need to write a story where we won't be harmed, where we won't suffer, where we can trust, where others have proven to not be trustworthy. We believe that we can trust ourselves. But Lord, I think all of us would admit that we often fail ourselves. We are not good gods. False gods never fail to fail. Lord, when we have tried to worship or find trust or hope in any other false god, whether it be ourself or our work or pleasure or any of the other many things we've talked about, help us to see your goodness and your power. Help us to respond in faith in trust, in hope, in your good news, the good news of Jesus, the gospel. In his good and perfect name we pray, amen.